this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back thanks to the folks at Patreon in our Dig Me Out union that has been formed of our community of folks supporting the podcast. We've launched a bunch of new levels. We're happy to report that people have been jumping on them, Jay, supporting the podcast, helping us kick off a whole bunch of new things that we're going to be doing. Super excited to kick off 2019 with all these new changes coming about. About, as they would say. Yeah. We got some t-shirts and stickers to start sending out. Yes. I will get right on that. I have to... Uh... <laughs> I will get right to... Uh, I've had the stickers on my by the door to mail to you for about a week now. i got to get them over to you. Please do. I know you've been you know, dutifully um, getting those designed and printed and all that kind of stuff. And I handle the, uh, the labor as far as driving <laughs> to the airport. Pu- putting them in an envelope, driving to the airport, mailing them that end of it so that's my uh contribution to this process so as we're going to get into all the folks that we have thank yous for but we have a thank you right now for our current guest who has been with us for another year mr steven musinski's back once again steven's back hello gentlemen back thank again. you for having me <laughs> Little Backstreet Boys action for you, folks. What was the last pick? I know that was you picked the local H record, right? That was not Dewey, even though he was on that episode. Correct. correct. Okay, that's right. That was a good one. That was a highlight, actually, of 2018. I yeah, I was, I was, I was pleased to hear that. Very pleased to hear that. Tell everyone for 2019, what have you brought to the table? I brought a record. Well, when I when we did that episode after the Love Fest, I said next time I promise to bring something that I can be a little more critical of. So I'm following through on that promise, but still somehow tying it to local age, uh, which we can talk about uh, in a few. But we're gonna talk about (laughs) we're gonna talk about Stanford Prison's um, third album, Recreation. Yes. Now that came out in 1998 on Island Records in the United States and other places, other labels. Uh, and the f- the full band name is Stanford Prison Experiment, which is named after the 1970s uh, experiment involving um, Milgram. I don't know if anybody's a psych major. They might know about this. Uh, it was basically you divide a class into uh, half of a class of students into prisoners and half into guards and you see how authority affects their behavior and they put them in like a prison situation and watched what happened and there's a movie that was made on it or made about it along with documentaries and stuff like that so jay tim put down your drink tell me are you familiar with the Stanford Prison Experiment as the album, not the uh, experiment or the uh, actual experiment or the, or the movie? I'm not familiar with either, and I and I don't know why, because we'll get into it, but it seems like it would have been something right up my alley in 1998, 99. So I uh, had never heard of this band in my life and uh, knew nothing about the origin of the name either. 
I knew about the origin of the name only because I'm a nerd and I like uh, <laughs> nerdy stuff like that. But I was not familiar with the band. Other than I knew that there was a band called Stanford Prison Experiment, but I had never listened to them. I assumed that they weren't like pop. <laughs> that was my only guess. That this was probably a band that chose this name. Because they were like punk or hardcore or something like that. Yeah. There's by the by the name, I would assume that they would tour with Dillinger Escape Plan. Right. <laughs> we get there those you two go. bands confused. <laughs> Tell us, Stephen, where did you discover this album? So the first time I ever saw Local H, two bands opened for them. This was in '98, supporting Pack of the Cats, and one of them was a band that you guys talked about quite a while ago, uh, the Super Jesus from australia oh yeah first season right and then the second was stanford prison experiment and they were um supporting this album recreation so like now in my nerd brain this completes this like trilogy (laughs) of albums that i already knew about that have been covered on the show we covered a whole tour covered (laughs) yeah that's pretty awesome so yeah, first time ever knowing of their existence was watching them live, which is always a fun way to discover a band. Yeah. Yes. I miss those days. <laughs> yeah. We might have yeah. to do this more often. We figure out bands that toured together and then try to knock all the bands off as far as reviews or what have yeah. you uh, from one by one for each of these tours and it might be a way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's an inter- it's an interesting bill. I wouldn't expect uh, the Super Jesus to be part of that, but maybe I need to go back and listen to that record. Yeah. It's a great record. Let's just do a brief uh, history of this band here. The members, Mario Jimenez on vocals. Mike, uh, is it Starkey? Is that right? Good, Good question. Uh, yeah, Starkey on guitar Dave Ladder on drums and Mark Frazier on bass. This is their third album. This is the second album that was produced by Ted Nicely, who people will know from the Inner Ear Studio uh, that produced a number of recordings, mostly of DC bands. But as, as we will talk about, this is a band from Los Angeles who ended up recording with uh, that band thanks to friendships with a number of east coast bands including quicksand and fugazi and some others um their first album was produced by dave allen of from gang of four he did oh i didn't know that yeah and that label that they're on is i believe his label i think that's correct is that one uh, world communication world domination records or world domination, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Dave Allen, and it included bands like Low Pop Suicide and Sky Cries Mary, Shriekback. was a subsidiary of Capitol Records. Let's get into some comments from our patrons. Just a couple. Chris Mart says, I love SPE, but this album never clicked with me the way their previous record, The Gato Hunch, did, or Gato Hunch did recreation has always seemed a little too slick and refined for my taste probably because it was released on a major label brandon trammell says i haven't listened to this record since the 20th century i really dug the first two songs but then sort of lost me when they started doing a 311 thing 
Production is pretty Good. great here, especially the guitar tones. I'm not planning on bringing this into regular rotation or anything, but definitely worth the revisit. Wasn't this Three, a new what? Three eleven thing. Oy. <laughs> Wasn't this a New York hardcore side project of some sort? I cannot find any info on them online, but I remember this maybe being group. Yeah, so see hardcore tie-in, but aside from that, yeah, just, uh, just a know, bunch of dudes, dudes rocking out. Yep. And those were our comments at uh, Patreon, which you can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out. We need to say, we got to say some thank yous. A bunch of the big changed um, pledges. Yes. I'm just going to rattle through these. I'm going to say thank you to Tara McCook from jumping from 250 to 1950. Thank you to Gary Moran jumping from 1 to 2. Crawford Blair, 250 to 350. James Stealthy to wedge one to two davy bright one to two chris martz 250 to 1950 another big jump and welcome michael bond getting a new pledger but that's not all folks thanks to keep jumping from 250 to seven hayden smith one to two whitney bueller five to 1050 welcome aboard john seaman at the 1350 level Ian Wobble jumping from five to seven. Jeff Looney jumping from one to two. Son Seth Check one to two. Whitney, well, I already mentioned Whitney. Uh, I'll mention him again. Uh, Whitney Beeler, it's five to ten fifty. <laughs> I don't know why, but sometimes it, it it shows it repetitively. Yeah, in, uh, the notifications over. So I was like yeah, super those... excited. Wow, there's a lot of. Oh, I was like, no, these are all doubled. Yeah, those are duplicates. All right, so these are the levels we're talking about, folks, that people are jumping to. If you're joining us at the $2 level, which is, is a Dig Me Out Union member, you're going to receive an exclusive Dig Me Out Union sticker that Jay has designed. You're going to vote in our monthly album review polls. You're going to be entered into our contests. You're going to get a thank you like we just did. And, of course, you get to join the conversation on our Patreon page. If you join us at the... $7 level, which is a representative. This gets you a t-shirt after three months. Union rep. Union representative. That's pretty cool. Now, if you join us at the 1050 le- level, you're a union counselor. Now, what does that mean? You get to start suggesting topics for our roundtables. And when our 80s album reviews come up, you're going to be able to pick. You're going to be vote on what we're picking out for that as well. You get the T-shirt, you get the exclusive steering committee sticker, and then of course we have a steering committee level at thirteen fifty. Again, you're going to be a steering committee T-shirt, a sticker. You're going to be voting in our polls, and but this one's different in that this is uh you don't get to pick the roundtable stuff but instead you get to pick a record there you go so for those of you that have that have joined us for a while and picking records this is uh one of the tiers the new tiers where you can continue to pick but also get all the new benefits the the exclusive steering committee t-shirt and and uh sticker as well right and then last but not least you mentioned i i previously mentioned the 1950 level this is basically the 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 top level the administrator union administrator you get to pick a 90s album uh after 12 months you are suggesting topics uh for our roundtables you're casting a vote for those roundtables episodes 
You are making suggestions for our 80s episodes. You are receiving the t-shirt, the sticker, the monthly polls, the thank yous, the all the swag that we give away, records, books, that kind of stuff. You, you it's all. It's all there. That's the uh that's the penthouse suite for now. And, and so, there's three different three different t-shirts and stickers that we'll, we're going to do. So if you're in the administrator level, I think at this point we're, we're looking at only allowing 10 people into that. So there's only going to be 10 of those shirts printed up and 10 of those stickers given out. So, and you're pretty much picking everything. <laughs> you're running the show. Right. And we'll be posting all the, the, uh, the first round table is, is set every year. We always do the, the 20 year anniversary round table. So we're doing 1999 and then next year we will go, backwards we'll start at 1990 for 2020 we'll be doing 30 years do that that sounds terrifying oh my god for real <laughs> 30 years jay how can up. we talk about music when we were only four years old when that happened <laughs> <laughs> right 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 i know <laughs> we were uh very experienced musically at the age of four <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, but all of our roundtables for the rest of the year will be committee votes and deciding on uh, what we're going to review and when we're going to re- what now we're going to review but what topics we're going to cover. That'll be our our steering committee will be handling those picks. So those those will be coming up soon. Let's... And uh, Whitney Bueller has already chimed in on a bunch of '80s records that he wants us to review as oh, part of the he? steering committee. So oh yeah, I'll, I'll hit two here. Uh, Kiss Unmasked and Van Halen Fair Warning. Whoa, wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just saying, there's there's many others here, but those are two that really appeal to pop. you. <laughs> I was hoping we would get to like a replacements record or. Uh... He's got some. He's got some King's X in here. I like where he's headed. If you don't like it, you better join up and vote them out because pretty much at this point it's going to be uh, Whitney and the three folks who are in the director level. Oh, there you go. 80s, 80s records. So. Now, can there be a coup? Can these people that are on the steering committee be removed by some sort of a, a hostile no. takeover? They're in. All right. Let's get into this record now. We've, we've, we've built it. it up enough. Or we're well into this episode and we haven't even talked about the damn record. Recreation 1998 and that's misspelled by the way. I don't know there was no copy editing on this album release. It's not spelled with a W, <laughs> folks. I don't know what's going on. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this record. Uh I love the guitars. Really cool riffs on here. Very diverse um too. It covers a lot of ground that I like. Uh so a song like Contusion reminds me of Criteria, which is a band I like a lot. Oh um, yeah, good call. Little mathy in, in some ways, but a big meaty riff. There's some stuff that sounds a little bit at the drive-in-ish, but angular, 
it's uh, it gets a little punky at times um, from a guitar standpoint, but just really creative. There's a couple songs that have some effects that are kind of cool. Like they do some like either bends or like slides, and then they put an effect on it that really creates this really cool um, sound and just overall dynamic. So I like the guitar a lot. And I, is there only one guitar player in this band, Steven? There is. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive that what's going on guitar-wise. Um, I, I would imagine seeing this guitar player live would be pretty exciting. Not, not a ton in terms of like solo work or even like uh, leads. It's mostly riff and noise oriented um, parts. New, but... he, he has so much nuance in his playing. Yeah, I, I feel like he offers like you know, like he's not doing he's not doing anything complicated. He's not doing mm-hmm. any wizardry. He's just no. super tasty. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's subtle, but. Um, I think when you dig into the record, you realize a lot of what's going on on the record that's good is guitar-driven. I had a good time um, just listening to the riffs and the parts and just how they put them together and, you know, pretty creative. And and for the most part, like I said, it covers a decent amount of ground, so you don't get too, uh, you know, he'll do some down-tune stuff and it'll get a little chuggy, but it doesn't turn into a monotonous detuned riff fest. Um, it, it hits you where it's tasty and there's some groove oriented things like that, but it, it, it doesn't get stale, I guess, in any one particular approach to guitar here. I mean, it's all heavy and hard rock and alternative rock oriented, but, um, really enjoyed, uh, the guitar quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it, it, just overall the, the band itself in, in the same way, uh, covers a good amount of ground, a lot of territory that I like, um, as well from, you know, you hear things on there that are Anthrax or the Hives or even a little bit of Nirvana or um, some post-punk stuff. Um, you know, it covers quite a bit of ground just as a band as well. So uh, I think that's the kind of the highlight for me. Yeah, I will agree with you on the guitar stuff. I got, uh, in addition to the stuff that you mentioned, I heard a lot of Paige Hamilton from Helmet, especially mm-hmm. in the stuff after Meantime, more in the vein of like Betty and uh, Aftertaste and, and some of the stuff that came when they were, it was less of a, um, you know, just like chugging uh, heavy riff and it got a little more nuanced and he, he started expanding what he was doing. Also reminded me of Jay uh, Robbins at, at certain points with his guitar playing especially when you get like he would do these big dissonant uh, bends and stuff like that and just like you know Jay Robbins has, can be very tight on the guitar and, and do just the absolute you know minimum perfect for it for what he's doing and then he can throw in some like really wild and crazy leads that are are not leads in the in the you know showy sense but just like these you know 
big sounds. I'm thinking of like a song like "But of Course" has some like really cool uh, guitar lead stuff uh, on that one. "Burner" as well has some has some really cool stuff that I connected with. Um, I also like the the bass sound on this record. There's a couple points where that pokes out, um, like "Sweet Talk." Where it almost gets like a um, like a Jesus lizard kind of sound on some of it, uh, or a Fugazi when the bass kind of gets a little uh, more mid range as opposed mm-hmm. to the the more groove oriented stuff. Um, I liked that sound as well from this band when they when they let that because then when the guitar kicked in, it was more even made even more of an impact when they drew it back for a sec and and let the bass sort of take the lead instrument role not the not in terms of playing leads or anything but just in terms of being the the center of the of a verse or something like that where the guitar isn't playing steven so you mentioned that this was not necessarily something that you were like you know head over heels in love with uh before we get into stuff we don't like uh, just talk about the stuff that from originally you know getting the record to maybe now what you've liked and what you've enjoyed about this record so I, I think that because I, I hadn't listened to this in years, um, I didn't even listen to it before picking it. I just kind of it's it's been on my short list and I just went for it and then listened to it. Um, it's uh, I think the thing that stood out to me most this time around was the band's sense of rhythm overall. Like they just they really know how to play with grooves and and you like you were talking about using that bass so effectively let it letting that bass cut through and the guitars will either cut out or even just like add little subtleties here and there and then they bring everything back together um but yeah there's just there's a sense of of rhythm that this band has that um really stood out to me this time and and i'll say too initially getting the record i you know when, when i saw them i enjoyed watching them and you know jay you mentioned the guitar player must have been fun to watch i you know i was a young buck like i said this was one of my first few shows so this was one of the first times I ever noticed um, an extensive pedal board, a guitar player using, uh, you know, all sorts of effects. And, and I was kind of like, you know, brain blown a little bit there. Like, what is all that? What, what is he doing? What are, <laughs> what are all those different pedals? Yeah. You know, I have a distortion pedal. Like, what what, what else has he got up there? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the vocals were always the toughest thing. Like, like I wasn't sure that I liked the band um, when I first heard them. It took a little bit for for his voice to to kind of settle in for me. I'm curious uh, if that's going to come up uh, in in what you guys <laughs> didn't like about the record. I'm hard pressed to believe that it won't. Yeah, I want to follow up on the the comment you made about the rhythm. It's um they do a good job of playing off each other and knowing when to contrast and when to sync up. So there's times where. Uh, the bass and the drums are going one direction, the guitar is going another, um, and then the vocal will kind of bounce around and either be locked in with the bass and drums or locked in with the guitar or doing its own thing, and then they'll all come together and it gets huge. I'm with you on that. Uh, rhythmically, there's a lot going on here. It's it's it gets pretty sophisticated, almost. I don't want to say mathy, but you know it gets fairly complex in terms of how they're pulling and like pushing and dragging and doing different things dynamically and with the rhythm I, to be able to create dynamics. I, I think I'm a war at track three is, is maybe a, a perfect example of that. Um, you know, they, the chorus of that song, I don't, if you just isolate it as a chorus, it's not really like a great chorus or anything, but 
they they connect two two verses together off the beginning. They hold off. They like you know use a little restraint, and so then when they do finally get to it, I feel like it's more effective than if they had just gone into it after the first verse. And I feel like that's kind of them playing to their strengths. You know, like yeah, we can't necessarily write a big, huge, great chorus, but like you know, let's let's tease it and then let's get back to it. You know, and the same thing with the riff. Like they use that verse riff, and then after the second chorus, he like beefs up the chords and just really puts some muscle into it and it just it hits so hard and it's it's just smart songwriting i think and, yeah. and playing to your own strengths That song, I'm a War, which musically I really like, and Extinguisher Track 6 are the only two that I really had an issue with in terms of he seemed to be doing a sort of rap metal sort of thing on those tracks (laughs) just in the verses. The choruses, he goes to a more traditional vocal delivery. But when I heard those songs, and I didn't think of it as 311, because that to me (laughs) sounds more like with a bad reggae affectation when I think of 311. Maybe that's just half of them. But I I heard there was definitely something going on where the the staccato-ness of his voice and the the delivery was much more in the vein of like a rap metal. And it's not like super like, I was... offensive but there are some rhymes in there that are just like so like blatantly bad that they're it only accents the the rap aspect of it even more I think it's totally poor man's uh rage against the machine Yeah 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 and it's it's just not necessary because his voice is serviceable I mean he doesn't have like some amazing voice but it's it's fits the music perfectly fine but it just it made me like really focus in on what he was doing and and like i kind of lost my train of thought i was like what is going on here with these two songs it was really the only two where i was like "Mm, i am not down with this like the other stuff where there's maybe there's some tracks that like the melodies aren't as inventive or the chorus doesn't really do much but I wasn't like flabbergasted at the choice, like I was with those two tracks. I don't know, Jay. Did you have that issue? Uh, I didn't as much as you guys did, or at least you didn't. You did. Um, uh, I definitely think "I'm a War" is better than "Extinguisher." I guess I heard more in his delivery, like in "At the Drive-In" or even Joe Strummerish Clash kind of delivery. Like he's just pulling up enough that it doesn't. To me, it sounds like rap. It's just a staccato, like, spoken kind of delivery at times. Um, 
But I just like the range that he can deliver. And I don't mean range in terms of like, you know, he's got some like crazy vocal range in terms of like hitting notes and stuff, but just the different types of singing and melody and, and, and use of rhythm that he's able to pull off across the record. You know, he can go from sounding like Richard Patrick from, what was the name of that band? Filter. Filter. Um, to sounding like At the Drive-In, to sounding a little bit like Kurt Cobain, to, you know, he, he covers quite a bit yeah. of ground here. And he can also deliver a melody when he needs to. You know, there are a couple spots on here um, where, let me see here, my notes. Oh, he also sounds like the guy from The Hold Steady to me in moments, like Baby Ticker, like when that kicks in. And it goes right to that vocal. I mean, to oh, me, that yeah. first section of that definitely sounds like them. So and he's letting loose a little bit, yeah, with his vocal. So I hear a little bit of "Girls Against Boys." Like he's got that kind of tone, um, that d- deeper tone too. So I, I didn't mind the vocal, and in fact, I mean, it, it fit the music well and came together well. Um, yeah, there are a couple moments, uh, like on a song like "Extinguisher," where it gets a little too rap for me. Yeah, and that's probably one of the my least favorite songs on the record, but. Uh, I think all in all, the vocal, I would say, was either neutral or uh, positive. I'm uh, I'm totally split on the. Uh, so I I don't like Extinguisher. Like I would I can definitely lose that song. I think it's a great riff. Uh, and there's some cool guitar happening in the chorus, but yeah, he raps through that whole verse, and and then when the chorus does hit, it's kind of it just feels lazy. Yeah. Um, but I'm a war. He, he, he does like the bouncy rappy thing for a minute. And then he kind of goes into more, uh, of a sung vocal. Like he doesn't stay there for the whole verse so I can let it go. And I, and I just, I don't you know, I just raved about what was going on musically in that song. So that's, that's definitely enough to pull me through. Uh, but yeah, extinguisher. I can't, I can't do that one. I probably could originally but these days that's 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 a track skipper and so, and something like burner to me sounds like especially the chorus sounds almost hives ish yeah like uh there's a little vocal thing in there a whole harmony or something they do that really it's very popish um so there are moments here and there where it, it goes to some unexpected places and i think it's pretty successful well they're not afraid to use some harmonies like on track five fine line which is you know kind of an album track kind of song it's slower but they do some harmonies or he does some harmonies i don't i I think the guitar player does some backing vocals but i don't know if he does that live or you know just live or if he does that on recording as well but they definitely on certain songs really hone in on the vocal like you mentioned with burner j and they do something a little bit almost poppy um i think my my issue with the vocal being not all that like you said, I'm sort of neutral on it, is that all of those people that you mentioned have a distinct vocal, and he just sort of inhabits a different style from song to song. Yeah. And I wish he kind of would develop or would have developed something unique to him, his own voice, as opposed to me going, well, this is a little bit like a Jawbox song, and this is a little bit like a Girls Against Boys song and this is their helmetish song this is their quicksandish song and this is the jesus lizardish song and like i i and it's all sort of you know if you take his vocals out of the equation this is a pretty you know interesting and diverse sound musically but it's his vocal that sort of like 
has to it has to inhabit like the singer of that genre in order to make sense and i kind of i kind of i just wish there was a little bit more personality i guess to his vocal even if it wasn't necessarily note perfect i just wish there was something to identify that oh yeah this is definitely uh mario from stanford prison experiment so i just i'm just not getting that from him yeah i think that's a i think that's a fair criticism but it's not a vocal i don't want to listen to that's the it's a fine line like it doesn't really move me but i also don't i'm not bothered by it like he could have a bad voice and i'd be like oh i don't want to listen to this dude sing you know he could be screaming the whole record and then i'd be like i don't want to do this anymore i think musically and and production wise like you know, I think when you when you factor all that in here, I think there's enough to get you through. What did you guys? Would you have any thoughts on the track ten, uh, Mashaka? Uh, I like the bass tone. That's what I wrote down on that one. Mm-hmm. Jay. Yeah, this was the one I had girls against the boy, girls against boys on my as my notes. Um, cool bass tone. Um, the guitar has a ton of dynamics going on. I, I think in this song, it it's a little less riff based and more like bass groove and guitar kind of uh, creates the dynamic intention, which is which is a little different on the record. Most of the other stuff is. You can tell more of a, you know, guitar riff based song. Um, I love the breaks where it goes from the verse into that uh, um, alternating guitar part. I think those are um, right. Did you really clever? Like, you know, when I when I heard that and I, and I was taking notes on that one, I I thought to to myself that um, they kind of use that almost as a chorus, like, and and that's something that Jay, you actually whether you remember this or not, you pointed that out um, about a Tad song uh, from Inhaler that you guys reviewed forever ago where they kind of like used a guitar part as a chorus. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had heard that song a hundred times before, but never thought about that. And uh, so when I when I heard this song, I kind of had that same thought. I was like, I feel like they're kind of using this as a chorus. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, it's there between verses. Yeah, using yeah, the, mel- that. the guitar melody. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the songs where um, I have this note quite a bit. I mean, the the drums are just pounding sometimes. Like, oh man! Uh, and so. the dynamics are great, but there's just sections where it's like, man, he's just <laughs> he's just slamming. You know, uh, the snare is just like so forward and you know um, driving. Yeah, um, in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Did Sweet Talk give you like? Did you guys write down any band band name influences under Sweet Talk? Out of curiosity, Fugazi. I wrote down. Yeah, I can see that. Jay? I had at, at the drive-in. Yeah, I had at the drive-in, too. Total at the drive-in. Yeah. Even the way, the way it starts with that, like, those guitar chords are very kind of angular and odd and what you would totally hear from that era at the drive-in. Yeah. Yeah, like like in Casino Out. Mm-hmm. I could totally hear that. Uh, and the last song, you know, was, is, 
interesting is that the last song, Written Apology, is actually from the first album. Uh, they hmm. re-recorded it, and on the first album, it's track three. Huh. So I'm super curious as to why they decided to reach back and pull this one out. And, you know, I, I compared the two versions, and they didn't really change anything um, about the song structure. I mean, obviously, hmm. it's, a, it's a much better production, the, the major label budget with the Ted Nicely production on the, on the recreation version. But yeah, it song wise though, it's, it's pretty much exactly the same. Hmm. I, that's a weird choice to do that. Yeah. And it does. It's, it's, it's maybe the most like epic song on the record. Like it covers the most ground. It's one if it's the longest, if not one of the longest, uh, songs on the record. That's interesting that, uh, it's that old. I wouldn't have expected that. It almost sounded like this maybe where the band was starting to head as opposed to where they had been. The, the riff is interesting. Like it's very aggressive, but it's almost sounds random. Like, uh, but somehow still has some melody to it. I mean, so it's a pretty interesting guitar riff. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, to me, it covered the most ground in terms of, uh, just, you know, dynamic and, it just felt more epic than some of the other stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. So this came out in 98. I We usually talk about, uh, you know, where this fit into the landscape at that time. Um, I can't see this as a radio band in, in 1998. They would, you know, they're up against, like, second Foo Fighters record as far as, like, what rock is breaking through this it would have to be way poppier to get with to get on radio at that point with or you'd have to go really into the new metal direction like maybe you take a song like i'm a war and you could put that out as a single i don't know if they did or not i think they did that would be the only shot i would think because then maybe that gets you well, on the, I mean, the Rage Against the Machine and Corn and. Well, at the Drive-In's record is the, their biggest record is what a year, two years after this, two thousand. But that wasn't. I mean, that wasn't really a big. That's a big like sort of indie album, but it wasn't like K-Rock stations a, were playing that across the nation. Or, mm, no, they, but it was, they they did end up on uh, Letterman or something, right? Didn't they? Yeah, they were spo- it was supposed to be big. I mean, there was a major investment made in that, um, in the band and in that record, which ended up ending the band. But uh, <laughs> there were certainly, like, in- industry, the music industry was sniffing around bands like this at the time. Um, yeah. Trying, trying to find the next thing. And now obviously, they had a whole, like, other thing. They had an image and a stage show and, like, a lot of other stuff going on. But uh, from a sound standpoint, I think it's this is close enough that um, I think you can make the case that they could have been one of those bands that try to get a major investment put into them from a marketing standpoint and um, like at the drive. Actually, they're probably more commercial than at the drive in just sonically. Really? Standpoint. I okay. think so. Hmm. I kind of, I kind of do too. I guess you're right. I mean, they're, yeah, really at the drive in stuff is very, I mean, very abrasive. Yeah. I like it, but it's not. Yeah, you're right. As, concise as this is sometimes i mean some of these songs are what like let me look at the times here we've got uh several songs on the three minute and under oh yeah uh, 215 245 218 no you, you know, want to be in that like three to three thirty minute three to three thirty second um 
30 seconds range. If you're if the song's too short, it's almost not good. Like <laughs> if it's like 215, that's not really a radio song. They they'll want like an extra chorus. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to hit that like 3 minute sweet spot to be in the to have a good radio song. All right, let's talk about overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP decent single? Jason, where you at? I think it's worthy album. The only, uh, actually, the only song there's two songs on here I don't like. When we talked about uh, Extinguisher, um, I really don't like the opening track. Compete. I think it sounds um, too Nirvana-ish. It's too predictable. The chorus is lazy. I don't think it's to me. It doesn't sound like the rest of the record at all um but other than those two tracks i I like everything else um you know it's 12 songs at that point if you take those two off you're under 40 minutes Mm -hmm. um i think it's pretty pretty solid record yeah i concur with you i think cutting two tracks and getting this to just 40 minutes makes it a really solid listen um i would probably also I'm not a huge fan of I'm a War. I know that that's a liked song, but I would probably, I maybe cut with that one too, but that's about it. It's a really interesting record and it sounds good loud. So that helps. Yeah. That helps production, a lot. The, the production's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Steven. So I'm, I'm in a worthy album. Uh, I agree cutting two songs, but I, I would cut Extinguisher and I would cut Spin. Uh, track 12 that's one that didn't come up and i would move contusion later in the record uh i do happen to like compete i'm actually surprised uh to hear you say that that would be one that you'd cut jay um but to each their own uh (laughs) yeah i think compete really sets up the album nicely and i've made a playlist where i just kind of skip contusion and you know three bangers right off the top compete i'm a war high tower and then kind of levels off a little bit with fine line um, and I think Contusion's a great song, uh, but just for me, it really it really kills the momentum. Like you, you know, I love the opener, and then boom, it like really just takes it down. And you know, I think it's it's showcasing a different side of the band, um, especially if you hear the previous two records. Um, so I think I, I think I understand why they put it up front, kind of wanting to show off a new side, a new a new angle. But yeah, for me, it just like it's a buzzkill off the heels of Compete. So. I would reorder that shit. I, uh, I I didn't have spin highlighted, so I'm with you. That one sounded like a '90s Anthrax song to me. It's what? it's. It, I feel like it's it's the band's. It's a lot of their same formula that works on a lot of these other songs at work. It just kind of. It's like, well, you've already done this like three or four times, and you did it way better on those. So, I don't know. What are we doing here? <laughs> this is forgettable. Yeah, I just wrote album track. Yeah. which can be fine i mean you need album tracks you can't just have all you know bangers and singles right right yeah i think but i named my uh, porn tape bangers and singles (laughs) oh god (laughs) i think for me i think nails that get nails that stick up get hammered down which is a great title in my opinion uh i think that song is a perfectly fine album track yeah. 
Like it's not a standout, but you know, it does its job. It doesn't, uh, the, the bridge kind of like regets my attention. So it's a good song. It's an okay. It's a perfectly okay song. That perfectly belongs okay. On the album. <laughs> Bands love to hear that. Your song is just perfectly <laughs> okay. It's nice. It's pleasant. It's fine. It's just fine. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for suggesting this record. Um, tell us what you're up to. Well, Hollow Earth is, uh, actually the band minus me is in the studio right now as we speak in Connecticut, uh, working on drums. Hollow Earth, this is Hollow Earth I'm speaking of. Yes. And we go back to track the rest of the guitars, bass, and vocals in February, like early February 10th into March. Um, so yeah, LP3 is on the way and i imagine we'll be doing some more touring uh this year and certainly into the next to support it so that's what i'm up to in the meantime i'm just enjoying san diego and not being uh anywhere near snow is it a full length ep what are you what are we looking at here uh full length excellent full length lp3 lp3 is that the working title lp3 (laughs) yeah yeah that is the working title (laughs) where can people go to find the previous albums and, and listen to stuff. Oh, they're out there. We've got Spotify, Apple Music, I believe, iTunes, of course, um, Bandcamp. Um, yeah, they're, they're out there. Most recent album is Dead Planet. If anybody was interested in checking out the band, that's where I would, that's where I'd point you. Excellent. And of course, we're on social media, you know, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebook, it's all there. Excellent. We want to remind everyone, like we did at the top of the show, patreon.com is the place to go. Patreon.com forward slash dig me out to join the conversation on this episode, upcoming episode, vote in our monthly polls, and be eligible for quarterly giveaways. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. So that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Zazzle.com